Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Hey, parents. You're listening to the Project Parenthood podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nanika Kaur, clinical psychologist and respectful parenting therapist. Each week, I'll introduce you to the same respectful parenting practices that I use to help parents repair and deepen connections with their children. You'll get tips for cultivating more parental self-compassion, more cooperation from your kids, and more joy, peace, and resilience in your relationship with them. In today's episode, I'm talking with Dr. Jennifer Noble, a multiracial psychologist who works with mixed-race folks. You're going to hear about how to prepare your multiracial child for the realities of anti-Blackness and how to help them handle microaggressions from family. Stick around till the end to learn about ways to help your child embrace all parts of themselves. Dr. Jennifer Noble, or Dr. Jen, is a licensed psychologist, lover of adolescence, and coach for parents of mixed-race children. She is the creator of the Mixed Life Academy, an app and online coaching community for parents of mixed-race kids, helping them raise confident, resilient children. She has a private practice in Los Angeles where she works with teens, their parents, women of color, and other marginalized groups. She taught collegiate-level psychology for over 15 years. Her passion for identity freedom and the mixed-race experience is fueled by her lived experience as an African-American and Sri Lankan Tamil woman. Here's my chat with Dr. Jen. Hi, everyone. I'm here now with Dr. Jennifer Noble. Dr. Noble, I'm so glad to have you here at Project Parenthood to shed some light on how we can help multiracial kids develop a healthy racial identity. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Before we jump in and start talking about the like how-tos of parenting multiracial kids, can you tell us a bit about your journey and what led you to working with multiracial folks? I guess, you know, part of the journey is is it's my own journey. So I've kind of spent a lot of time just thinking about my own kind of mixed race identity. My own processing started in high school, but definitely in college is when I started kind of digging into research and kind of realizing that, oh, it's not just my own experience. There are like lots of other people who are like me. I did like an independent study and um, I had to kind of go and find these research articles. And I found a lot on like black, white mixes. And what really shocked me is I started to find like articles um, and, you know, kind of dissertations on black and Japanese or black and like another eight. And I was just like, what? Like, 
this is amazing. You know, there's like groups of people. And so that kind of led me down this journey where I found an organization, which I always talk about. It's called Multiracial Americans of Southern California. And I was going to school in Michigan at the time, but I was like, wow, there's like even organizations like this is wild. So I joined it as a student and I kind of went to a conference and met kind of some bigger names in research. And I just kind of stayed connected in that way. And then when I started graduate school, that was the focus of my dissertation. And I became like on the board of that same organization I was talking about. So I was like president, past president, vice president, blah, blah, blah. You know, I just really heavily involved. And so we did a lot of work with lay people doing seminars, just social events. And I just started hearing like some similar themes and a lot of the same topics, either from parents or from mixed race adults that would come to our events. And along that time, kind of the undercurrent was I was finishing up with psychology, doing internships, doing all these things. So somewhere down the line, I was starting the private practice and I kind of realized, I was like, you know what? Everyone at those seminars would always ask, who could I send my kid to? Or, oh, what should I say as parents? Or how could I do this? So I was like, I should really, like, why am I not doing this? <laughs> you know. So that's when I kind of made that my kind of niche focus and really made it a point to let people know, hey, this is what I work with. This is what I've studied. Bring me your, your child or bring me your family. It's always interesting to know how so many of us psychologists come to our niche um, based on our own personal experience, so much, so many of us. And so before we really dive into the nitty gritty, I wanted to kind of sort of define some terms that we might use, that we might end up using. And one um, that comes to mind when I'm thinking about multiracial people, and especially multiracial people of African descent, is the one drop rule. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about that and what that means and how it intersects with things like colorism and passing. Yeah, well, I think there's probably a lot we could say about the one drop rule. The one drop rule was designated after the U.S. Census attempts to quantify genealogy in people. So they were attempting for for black folks and all people of color they wanted to know how much of some sort of minority group you had in your bloodline so you had names for those with black parentage like quadroon octoroon mulatto all of these antiquated terms that we no longer use but these were ways of saying you have a fourth an eighth etc but they used these same numbers for native americans etc and i think once the math got too hard, like once you got to like one eighth and they're like, oh no, we're running out of words for like one sixteenth. They just kind of simplified it and said, if you have even one drop of a non-white kind of heritage in your background, then you are no longer white. And so it was just a way to maintain white supremacy and this false idea of like the purity of the white race. Because if you have one drop, you're no longer pure. So you got to go in the people of color box. So that's the simplified way of kind of looking at it. It did apply to all minority groups, but because in our country, perhaps we have this really strong black, white binary and perhaps because black Americans also internalized this one drop rule, then it's kind of lived on. Now, 
because white people used to say, oh, you have one drop of black, you're black because you can't be anything else anymore. Black people have also adopted that and said, well, if you got one drop of black, you black and you, you know, you need to own that. You need to be proud of it. You know, it comes out of that experience of oppression. You know, well, well that's what you told me I had to do. Well, then gosh darn it, I'm going to do it and, and you're not going to hold me back and I'm going to fight and resist whatever else you're trying to say that means. But it does, it, it just caused a host of complications as well since then. And I'm thinking about the way that you spoke about white supremacy as well and the way of the way the one drop rule really upholds that and the idea that you're quote unquote contaminated if you have a single drop of of black blood, if you will, and how the making white people one thing and everyone else another thing also allows white people to be the only ones who can own land, the only ones who can have property. Like the, it, it separates white people. We can have these things and everyone else cannot. Right. It maintains their power and keeps a whole other group oppressed or marginalized. And so you mentioned passing. So that's where that comes in. So if you had folks that maybe they had white parentage back in the day, but for whatever reason, their phenotype is very light skin or their hair can you know, maybe it's curly, but they can straighten in such a way that people can't tell, et cetera, then they would choose to live life as a white person. And so this is kind of passing, which means then they were able to get access to the things they would be prevented from if they were black. Being cognizant that passing was quite a serious choice. It came with a lot of stress Um, I mean, sometimes people had to hide or just separate themselves from their family, perhaps their own parents, because they couldn't get found out, all because they were just one to try to survive and, I don't know, move on up in the world or whatever. Have access to white privilege. Exactly. Right. So then they would get negative sort of connotation from those who perhaps could not pass or maybe could pass and chose not to out of solidarity with their group just cause a lot of division and separation. And I think that piece has kind of carried on today through colorism. And can you talk a little bit about colorism? Colorism is just the kind of preference of lighter, anything closer to white, being somehow better, preferred, getting more access, getting more opportunities, maybe being even perceived as safer, smarter, more beautiful, and then anything darker being the opposite of all of that. So when you speak of colorism and passing together and that division that it created, I think so many years ago, you really did have a lot of, just for lack of better way of speaking of this, but passing Black folks, really maltreating the Black folks that couldn't pass and that creating a lot of contention and a lot of like, you know, that just means that other people will be like, oh, I, I know who your family is and you think you're doing this, but I, you know, I got your number. And that causes a lot of, just a lot of pain. Absolutely. It's a lot of internalized oppression, all of it, right? Yes. The idea that colorism is just this internalized notion that lighter skin is somehow better and how that passes down through generations and generations and yes. how it still right. is, a, it can be seen today in films, you know, and in, in the media. I guess what I was trying to get at as well, I think it's been passed down and we've lost this original context of where all that pain and actual conflict and ostracizing and oppression came from. 
And now someone who is light skin might be told, oh, you think you're better or you think you're this or you're that. When really they're like, but I, I didn't do anything. I wasn't even trying to like wield anything over you yet. <laughs> like maybe in the past that actually happened. We're all sort of caught in that web, whether we like it or yeah. not, you know, and we, and as you're saying, we're all perpetuating something and we don't really even know why. And it just seems like it's normal and natural. Yeah. You know, it's out of real pain and real trauma for like darker folks to, to kind of be maybe suspicious or be like, mm, I don't know, you know, you think this or you, or I've, I've experienced a lot of pain because think about, you know, the fine tooth comb hanging at the door and you couldn't get in or paper bag tests. I mean, that was done by black folks to black folks. So there's just a lot of, like I said, we took that one drop rule and and ran with it. Absolutely. Trying to get access to that power. Right. And we didn't even create that, right? That was all just a made up thing so that a certain group of people could have power, but then it affects generations of humans. I think it's also fair to say colorism is worldwide. We see that impact of, white supremacy and trying to maintain that this is the best and we should have the most power. Every single country has it. Anywhere colonialism was. There you go. (laughs) NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Tired of fighting your kids to make their bed? Say hello to Betty's. The unique design lets your kids make their bed with just a zip. Our patented bedding includes everything you need, a fitted sheet, top sheet, and comforter in one seamless piece that zips together. Kids love the feeling of accomplishment when they can make their bed by themselves every day. Make your mornings easier and visit Betty's.com. That's B-E-D-D-Y-S dot com. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western, with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. What can parents do to support multiracial kids? Like, can you talk a little bit about how imposing a Black monoracial identity on a multiracial person of African descent might perpetuate the one-drop rule? Yeah. I, I Well, I see this happen so much. And I think a lot of times parents, especially the parent that does not identify as Black, thinks they are doing a good thing by saying, look, you're Black you know, just go out into the world to be black. That's great. I don't have a problem with that, except for when it's, you're only black and that's what you are. And you just got to be, forget everything else. The simple way of saying it is just perpetuating again, this notion of if you got this minority thing, you can only be that you have no permission to be a member of the other group, which is already wrong. I think sometimes parents don't realize that that's what they're saying. But for that child who has a parent who is not Black, at some point, they're going to come up against a wall of like, oh, wait, I'm not just, you know, like, okay, everybody kept saying I'm Black, I'm Black, I'm Black. Either I'm going to meet a peer or I'm going to think about my family tree. I'm going to go to grandma's house. Something is going to make me have this moment of conflict internally 
to say to myself, oh, wait, but but I'm not. I guess I'm I'm not just that. Now, how do I reconcile that? And if the parents are not able to give enough language, that is, it's just a thing that that child has to navigate on their own and, and it shouldn't be. Yeah. So it sounds like it can be somewhat damaging to a person's self-esteem or self-concept, how they understand themselves, if there's only one way they're allowed, quote unquote, to identify, right? You know, what about this other side of my family? What, who am I to them? What does that side mean to me? Can I claim that? Is that okay? There's like a lot of um, not knowing if it's okay to even claim the other parts of yourself. And, right. and then having to sort of choose one side of your family over the other. Yeah. It seems like it would be quite a conflict internally. Yeah. It's just a lot of conundrum because it's sort of like, wait, and especially if the parent who told you that is not Black, then you're kind of like, so am I allowed to? I mean, what does that mean for us? How, how does our connection now make sense in the world? You know, it's it's a really powerful statement that I don't think a parent can hear because they're saying it from a monoracial space. Can you explain a little bit about what monoracial means when you say that? Sure. Monoracial just means that both of your parents are coming from the same racial group. This is a person that would have all their life understood themselves as one racial group, checks that off on any kind of census form. And then multiracial or mixed race is when you have one parent of one racial group and another parent of either a different racial group or maybe two or more racial groups. How do we help multiracial Black kids or multiracial children of African descent cope with anti-Blackness, especially when they don't phenotypically fit society's vision of what Black is, right? They don't necessarily, to one's eyes, they don't necessarily look like a Black person. And they may come up against a lot of anti-Blackness. And how do we help them manage that? For me, it has to be through discussions, a lot of open, honest discussions about the truth of the matter, which is like talking to the kid and saying, this is what you look like. Let's just be real. This, this, these are the things that are your phenotype. Here is what everybody thinks this group should look like. They're going to expect that feature. Um, they're going to expect these things. And that's what they've classified as Black. But then you get to present the truth of the matter, which is, who is your mom? Who is your dad? Those are your parents, right? And let the kid be like, yeah. So then you are a member of both of those groups, no matter what anyone says or whatever kind of category they feel that you should look like to be a part of that group. So I, I think to me, being able to start those types of very matter of fact attitude conversations and almost just dismiss the pressure of it all and come back to that kid and be like, but who's grandpa? You know, like, okay, but who is auntie so-and-so? Is that your auntie? Like, that's your auntie, right? Yeah. Okay. Well then what does that mean about you? You know, do you look like auntie? No. And that's okay. Does Uncle Fred look like, you know, whatever, you know, you can find people in your family that don't look alike, but helping that child really understand, okay, what I look like is not the only thing that ties me to this group of people. So to me, that means that not only does that conversation, that matter of fact conversation have to happen, but a lot of cultural exposure um, is going to be really important so that that kid can say, yeah, I might not look like what you think I should look like, but I know the things. I'm familiar with this 
richness, my, my history, the current, the past, all of it, and let them feel that connection of like, oh yeah, oh, okay, you can't take that away from me. Oh, okay, I get it now, you know? Yeah. I think you get a great example of that with Zendaya. Uh, I know she's like hot topic for a lot of young folks, but she is one person that a lot of people try to say, oh, she ain't black or look at her. She doesn't look this enough. She doesn't look that enough. And she's like, I wish you would tell me anything other than what I already know myself to be. And I will continue to be bold about my heritage. And I'm not going to deny who my mom is. I'm not going to, I'm going to be open and honest. I am white. I am black and I'm mixed race and I'm pro all of it. I'm, I'm not about to hide anything. So you have a lot more people that are taking that stance. And if a parent struggles, I think showing some of those examples of like, look, this is, you know, she doesn't look it and she's still doing it, that kind of thing. Thank you. That's, you know, it really, it's, it makes sense to even think about how parents can use people in the media and other people who are expressing these sentiments that you are trying to sort of impart to your child, especially if it's someone they look up to. It's really great what you said about, you know, sort of dismissing the pressure right from the beginning, like letting them know you may feel this pressure. You People will pressure you. Yeah. And so I'm letting mm-hmm. you know that d- that's not something you need to even take on because right. that's not even the truth. Right. It's not your problem. It's their problem. You kind of present that matter of fact, like, look at how how much they got themselves stuck in a box by defining this group only by this thing. And that's as far as they got. They, there's no flexibility there. Well, that, that sucks for them because we already know the truth. We, You know, you can give... Past examples, I think Frederick Douglass is a great example. Like the history of Frederick Douglass is like, okay, unquestioned that he's a black man. He did all these great things until you're like, you know, he had a white parent, right? <gasps> Wait, what? Uh, what? Uh. Okay, but he gets to be black, but this person doesn't just based on what you think they look like. I mean, that's the logic you get to present to your kid and show the fault in the logic so that they can kind of be in on a secret of like, Oh, they don't get it. Okay. Oh, they're ignorant. Oh, that's just silly. And help that child embrace that. It, it gives them resilience when when they hear it. Things are going to come at you, but here's how you might deal with that. And here's how to think about that. And so, you know, as we're talking about that, I'm thinking about, you know, the history, right? Like the generations of systemic oppression and unconscious bias, negative stereotyping, discrimination, you know, a multiracial child most likely will come up against these things. And, you know, do we handle those the same way? How do we sort of prepare our children for the fact that someone may discriminate against them because they are not a white person? Right. I mean, I think it's a great question. If we're talking about children, then again, you bring it up in an age appropriate way, presenting the the idea of racism. And it doesn't have to be a painful discussion. It, again, can take that matter-of-fact approach. So in my view, I would start with like melanin because melanin is a fact. You can just be like, did you know what melanin is? How does melanin work? And then you can have a, a week or two of fun when you're out and be like, look, that person has a lot of melanin. Oh, that has, they have less melanin. You know, just letting the kid be like, Melanin all around, you know, and then help them understand, did you know that some people decided to classify people by, you know, the amount of melanin they had, and they just decided that one level was better than another, and isn't that silly? There's a there's a great book that 
does a great job of explaining this. It's called Our Skin. I think it's Our Skin, a first conversation about race. And it literally kind of spells it out in that way and breaks down race, racism, why it's a problem, et cetera. But to me, that's where you start because everything comes from that. If a kid can at least understand that concept and then they go somewhere or, you know, God forbid they are not invited to Sally's birthday party because, I don't know, she said she can't have brown kids at her birthday party. Totally possible thing that still happens in 2023. When your kid is, you know, allow them to process that pain, but then you can say, do you see how silly that, you know, look at she, she didn't even, you know, get to enjoy your friendship because she was focused on melanin only. She didn't even get to know you And that kid can start to kind of just internalize that and be like, wow, that's the only reason. Yes, that sucks, but also that's dumb. It's just dumb, you know? Yes. And that you're sort of, um, you know, the next question I have is sort of about teaching kids about race in a way that doesn't leave them feeling um, like you're reinforcing negative stereotypes, you know, like as you you were talking about um, a mixed race person who might be white and black, right? And so they have both histories, right? Um, and and so how do we, you know, help a child w- with these histories, these two histories, sort of reconcile that without having like a demoralizing sense of racial identity? I mean, I think that's one of the ways is like demystifying the whole concept of the hierarchy and the white supremacy of it all. But then I think, you know, I, I think this is something a lot of parents struggle with, especially if it is, there is a white parent and a black parent is just the, especially if it's white American, because the experience of many white Americans is, I don't know my culture. All I'm made aware of is this power that I've been afforded or this privilege that I've been afforded. For me, it's very important for all parents to kind of look at their own racial identity. So that would mean, you know, white racial identity is, is a necessary piece of this puzzle, but maybe they can start to be like, you know what? Okay. How did I grow up? What foods did I eat? Where where did we live? Is there a certain identity from, you know, living in the Northeast or being from California? Or maybe I grew up, you know, white Midwest and we love green bean casserole or whatever it is. Then that parent can start to say, okay, yes, here's the history, but here's how you're going to connect to our side of the family. And here's what you get to claim as your own and not have to feel either shame or like there's some negativity and ugliness. Like we'll, we will acknowledge that and we will learn about that. But also we are people too. We have history, we have your family. Let's make sure you connect to that. I think it's important, as you say, that a lot of white people may not know about their Irish heritage or their German heritage or whatever that is. And, you know, what if you did find out about that? There is a history there. You're not just white, period, right? Like that's, right. that's a made up thing, right? Like you actually have a history somewhere, right? And you're, that maybe you don't know about. And so being able to give your child that as well. Yeah, I think it's really important. I mean, I, I've definitely worked with some families where, again, it was, you know, a white parent and that parent, upon being forced to talk about it, started to realize, oh, wait, my grandparent actually spoke German. Like, I didn't get to learn it, but wait, so then maybe my parents might still speak. Why didn't they speak German to me? And then that parent was like, you know what? I want to dig more into, I want to connect myself 
to my German heritage and then I can pass something on to my kid, you know? So I, I think it's a great example that, you know, the exploration and the journey can happen for all the people in the family. Absolutely. And speaking of families, I recently did an interview about transracial adoption, and we discussed unpleasant messages that some Black kids get from their own non-Black family members and having to deal with microaggressions and racism in your own home. And and some multiracial people also have the experience of invalidation and like microaggression and um, rejection of by their own yeah. families because of how they choose to identify. And so I'm thinking, you know, if there are any young people listening, and I know you work with young people, you know, what advice do you have for a young person about how to cope with invalidation, about how you identify, you know, especially when it's coming from your own family and you feel that feeling we were talking about, you're not enough this to claim that identity, you're not enough that, the way you look means you have to identify a certain way. And what could you say to this young person who might be listening? Well, of course, it depends on how young, but if they're getting a little bit older, 12 and up, let's say, and if they've had enough conversations where both of their parents have made them feel confident and secure that they can claim their heritage no matter what they look like, I think beginning to push back with family in a gentle, loving way, it doesn't have to be disrespectful and, you know, you're tearing up the place and causing conflict. But it is, again, an opportunity to call family members out on their own, either the bias that they don't hear or just the illogical nature of what they're saying. Because if a a family member wants to say, ah, you know, boy, you ain't black, you know, get out of here or something like that, then the kid can be like, but aren't you my uncle? I thought you're, aren't you like the brother to my whatever? And then let the person answer and then be like, okay, well then, you know, almost like you don't make any sense. I'm literally related to you. So what are you saying? If they use it as an excuse to kind of deny some other thing that they're saying, then they can call that like, oh, well, don't try to, you know, reject me when it's convenient for you because you don't like what I said. But I, I think it would need a lot of practice for that kid to feel comfortable to speak up in a way it can be jokey kind of side remarks to remind the family member like, oh, come on, you know, you can't call me that forever. Or, you you know, you know, you claim me or, you know, something like that to kind of ha ha, but also please stop. You know, so there's ways of setting boundaries, I think, and being encouraged by the parents to have permission to assert themselves in that way. Because I think what happens is, or why it's so painful is that number one, a kid doesn't know that they can defend themselves verbally. Maybe the parents are silent in the same moment. So now this kid is getting called some nickname by their family. And maybe their parents are also kind of giggling along because they don't know how to stop it. Then that child is like, I don't have any voice here. So I'm going to have to suffer in silence. And that's painful. I I like what you said there about, you know, giving your child permission to speak up you know, you're allowed to assert your truth. You're allowed to say, even if it's an adult, you're allowed to say, hey, that's not, that's not okay to say about me. And so as we're coming to the end of our time together, I'm wondering if there are any myths about multiracial identity that you want to clear up. Gosh, there's, there's so many, but I think one of the ones that I think is the most pervasive, I guess, especially when I think of mixed race folks that have a black parent is this idea of, oh, you're confused. You, you know, it's, it's a common one across the board, but I think it's a myth because there's no confusion for the person. 
they know who they are, they know who their parents are, but perhaps the struggle is trying to fit the society's expectation that you should only identify with one category. So then that can become confusing when you sit there and you're like, wait, but you only want me to check one box, but I'm literally not. And so then they sit there and like, well, then which one should I choose? And everybody else is like, see, you confused. You don't even know who you are. And they're like, no, I do. But your form doesn't let me, you know, or you're telling me I can't. So I think to me, that's a really important distinction to make really for everyone, but especially for the kids so that they don't feel, oh, I'm confused. I'm lost. I don't know who I am. It's like, no, no, no. You've known who you are since day one because you know who your family is. This is just set up in such a way that it doesn't allow for you to exist. It doesn't allow for you to affirm yourself, you know. It is not your problem. Society, your environment is is what has the problem. And right. I think that that's true for so many things. So many yes. things. <laughs> yes. This is just one of the things that it is true for. It is a multi-layered thing, um, multiracial identity. And I think, you know, it's wonderful. Thanks so much for coming and talking about this. It's really Um, As you said, we could talk about all these elements forever. There's so many things. But I think one thing that I'm taking away that's really important for me is that a multiracial person gets to claim it all, right? Like, I'm both things. I'm not like half this and half that. I'm like all everything, right? I'm not like a half of a person, right? I'm both things. I'm all three things, all four things, whatever those, you know, whatever it is. And I think that that's really important if, if people who are listening can walk away with that idea that you can be all the things and you can, you can have your own identity and you don't have to fit someone else's definition of something. Right. You can be more than one thing at once, but I think it's just hard for people to accept that concept because it's about race. And we've spent so much time making distinct quote unquote racial categories. But I think if we were to ask somebody, you're a sister and you're also a daughter but which one are you? And then are you a sister? Like, well, are you a daughter? Yeah, we're like, well, but I'm both. No, well, you can only be one. Are you half sister? Are you half daughter? Like, which one are you more? What are you more identified with? And the person's gonna be like, what the heck? I'm both at the same time. Yes, exactly. Mm, oh, that's good. I like that, Dr. Noble. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. It's been a pleasure having you at Project Parenthood. Thank you so much. And thanks for sharing your time and your expertise with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. This has been fun. I hope that's helpful. You can learn more about Dr. Jennifer Noble's work at www.drjentherapy.com. That's D-R-J-E-N-N-T-H-E-R-A-P-Y.com. And follow her on Instagram at drjenpsych, D-R-J-E-N-N-P-S-Y-C-H. You can learn more about my work with parents at www.brooklynparenttherapy.com and follow me on Instagram at bkparents. That's B-K-P-A-R-E-N-T-S. If you have more questions about raising multiracial kids or any other parenting questions or stories, leave me a message at 646-926-3243 and be sure to let me know if it's okay to use your voice on the show. Or send an email to parenthood at quickanddirtytips.com. And don't forget to subscribe to Project Parenthood on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Catch you next week. Project Parenthood is a Quick and Dirty Tips podcast. 
It's audio engineered by Dan Firebend with script editing by Adam Cecil. Our podcast and advertising operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our digital operations specialist is Holly Hutchings. Our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin. And our intern is Cameron Lacey. Tired of fighting your kids to make their bed? Say hello to Betty's. The unique design lets your kids make their bed with just a zip. Our patented bedding includes everything you need, a fitted sheet, top sheet, and comforter in one seamless piece that zips together. Kids love the feeling of accomplishment when they can make their bed by themselves every day. Make your mornings easier and visit Bettys.com. That's B-E-D-D-Y-S dot com. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western, with over 4,200 hotels worldwide 